It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined by Dr. Bhavik Kumar. Uh, of trans care and abortion provider in Texas. He's the Texas take lead for the Committee to Protect Healthcare. Dr. Kumar, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning. Um, so give us the lay of the land. That's always like a, a good first question. Um, there's been a lot of headlines about Texas. From your vantage point though, and, and because of the work that you do, I mean, what are the laws that you're tracking that have been proposed or passed in Texas that we should all know about and probably after knowing about it, be upset about. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, thanks so much for having me. Good morning. Um, Texas, I like to refer to Texas as the belly of the beast, the buckle of the belt. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, <laughs> really the center of, of a lot of um, extreme uh, political things, including abortion and trans rights. And I think you know, naming all the specific laws is very difficult. It gets bulky and difficult to understand. But I think what's important for folks to get is that for really decades now, the um, politicians and political system here has tried to pass restriction after restriction for abortion care. And what we now have is really a network and the layering of so many different cumbersome, bulky things that people have to navigate to get care. And most recently, um, as of September 1st, so it's been about six months now, We've had the most extreme abortion restriction, which bans abortion when you can detect cardiac motion on an ultrasound, which again is bulky, but really around six weeks, which is really, really early and made abortion access really difficult for people. And then on the trans care front of things, um, they recently, the governor and the attorney general um, released a letter saying that any young person younger than 18 who accesses gender affirming care um, whoever's responsible for them is potentially liable for child abuse, which is medically inappropriate, wrong, and actually putting people in harm's way. It's also, it's both of these laws put together are, are creating this really odd environment that seems like not just un-American, like un-Texan in Texas, where neighbors are supposed to snitch on each other. Like there's that vigilante yeah. provision for the abortion law where, you know, if you know somebody who helps somebody get an abortion, you can sue them. Yeah. And then with the the, the trans childcare situation, we're talking about like people who are mandated reporters, which means that they are the, they are the people who are required to report if child abuse is happening. Those people are now required to report if they're if the kid is receiving gender affirming care from their parents. Like what what is that doing to Texans? Yeah, this is you're you're right. right? This is a whole new level of vigilantism, um, not knowing who to trust. And with as a physician, for me, the most concerning thing is when people need help, when they need access to health care, the typical places you might go, like your physician's office, your um, you know, a mental health provider, your counselor, your therapist, um, any sort of social service program, all of these places now are potentially, you know, monitoring you, could report you, could, you know, cause more harm. And that is really, really scary. So when I talk to my patients, they're scared, they're anxious, they're nervous, they're unsure. 
Um, and, you know, I think a lot of folks, when I talk to them outside of Texas, will see what's going on or hear about it and think, well, what's the practical implications of that? But when you're living here and you're in this, when you're in this beast, um, it really has a chilling effect because there's so much uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. And as these things are introduced and they, you know, have a life of their own, it has twists and turns that are confusing. And again, at the end of the day, people are scared to get care or access the services that they need. And that's, that's not good. That's, that's harmful. Yeah. The other thing too, is I feel like, you know, in, in, on the one hand, you could pass a, pass a law or propose a law, um, you know, specifically in the context of like the one around parents um, and not aggressively um, enforce that law or harass people using the law. That's not actually what seems to be the case in Texas. Can you talk about not just the fact that they're proposing and wanting to pass these laws in a Republican led legislator legislature, but also that they're aggressively they, they want to aggressively enforce this kind of thing. And and also I was thinking last week about how you started saying Texas is the belly of the be- belly of the beast, but we had talked last week about you know, how other um, major civil rights cases, um, particularly around LGBTQ plus equality, um, were, were Texas cases. Lawrence v. Texas comes to mind first, but there are, there are others. Um, can you talk about the enforcement piece? Because that's the part that's really troubling, like, like also troubling, not really, but also troubling to me, besides just the fact that the law exists. Yeah, I mean, they're not playing, right? These aren't false, empty, you know, threats. Um, Texas is serious. And again, I think when these things are introduced, sometimes folks think, well, they're not really going to do that, are they? They're right. not going to actually force it. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah, they they will. And they will. Uh, it's not designed to make sense or logic. They have an agenda and they are serious about it. And honestly, I think folks need to recognize it's going to get worse. This is not the end of it. They will continue to push this. And, you know, like you said, Texas is not the only state, right? Other folks will try to copy things that they do, or they'll learn from other states' um, attempts to suppress people's rights and, and, you know, do things differently. But they are pushing ahead, and they are targeting families, and um, they're not kidding around. I, I, I kind of want to step back a little bit. For people who are, are new to this issue or learning language for the first time, like, what is gender affirming care and what might, let's say a 12 year old trans kid, like what are, what are the obstacles that that kid is, is now facing in Texas when trying to live their lives the way they would want to? Yeah, great question. And, you know, if I, if I want to, if I could step back for a second too, and just say that, Mm -hmm. I think what we've seen with abortion rights, again, over the last few decades is Things that attack people's rights start off small, perhaps, or may seem, um, you know, specific, and then they grow. And there's one attack after another attack to where we get to the point where we are today, where essentially abortion is inaccessible in Texas. Still legal, but very few people have access. And it's important to know that that pattern will probably happen with many other things, including trans rights. What does one of the benefits or one of the good things that comes out of these conversations is people begin to think about it and 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 learn about it, and so. I think a lot of people aren't familiar with gender affirming care. So it's just, you know, if I'm going to make one opportunity out of this moment, it's to talk about what the care actually is and and help people learn. So um, what I would say is when people come to a place of needing this care, we have 
in-depth conversations. We go over the risks, the benefits, the alternatives, and people move forward after having that conversation. There's a lot of thought that goes into it. People bring in their families. Specifically, your question, if it was a 12-year-old person who came in needing this care, first of all, you know, the space is affirming. We ask people their pronouns. We think about what's around us, what things are gendered, so that folks feel welcome. When it comes to the medical things that go into care for a 12-year-old, usually most 12-year-olds are pre-puberty or just early in puberty. And so um, the medical intervention is what we call a group of medications called puberty blockers. And these medications are essentially a pause button on puberty, right? So a person in this at this age may say, you know, I'm starting to see my body change or I'm worried about it and feels dysphoric, meaning they actually have mm. certain criteria where this is not feeling good for them. They're having a hard time with this. And we can say, let's put a pause button on puberty. Let's, let's give this some time. And that's really what it is. And the most important thing to know about puberty blockers is that they're fully reversible. Meaning when you stop it- Yeah, this doesn't sound resumes. scary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're safe medications. We've used them for a long time for other things. And we're saying, let's give some time and let's just pause this. Yeah. It seems and, quite, yeah. <laughs> Especially exactly. since like the, the pause seems to be like for mental health purposes. Yes. Like let's yes. figure out why your body changing the way it's changing is causing such negative mental health effects. It's not just like the kids like, oh, I, you know, I'm growing boobs and I don't like it. It's like, this right. is having detrimental effects on your health in one way. So yeah. let's figure out how to pause the physical so that we can figure out what's going on and make sure that you're happy and healthy throughout your childhood. Yes, exactly. How That's what it is. How terrifying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, again, so many people have misconceptions about it. And then if we specifically look at what this letter from um, the governor is, he names uh, surgeries, which are really, really rare. But again, it feeds on people's misconceptions. It's a disinformation surgeries campaign. Surgeries are rare for adults. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Children. Right. Yeah. But he's preying on people's fear and making it into something that it's not. And again, they did the same thing with abortion, right? It gets us talking about children's genitals and bodies. And it's, you know, unnecessary. It's inappropriate. But that's what they're doing. They're really gross. I mean, that, that's, that's the question right there. Like if a 12-year-old walks in, let's say I'm, you know, I'm one of these mandated reporters. I'm the, the gym teacher or whatever. And a 12-year-old shows up in my class and I suspect that this child might be biologically a sex that is different than the one that they are currently presenting. Like, what, how, what do I do at that point? I'm, I'm literally asking, what kind of genitalia does this child have? Because I yeah. suspect that it is opposite of the, what I understand to be the gender presentation of this kid. How am I supposed to find out at that moment? Yeah, Texas has said, I have to tell on this kid what what do I do? Yeah, there's no rules around that. And what the word this you is said so that gross. resonates with me is suspect, right? So right. who right. is going to suspect what and how? what cues are they looking for? You know, what does this mean for folks that are more androgynous looking? Maybe they're cisgendered, but like they have short hair when you would expect them to have long hair. Or I was misgendered be, right? 100% of the time as yeah, a child. I just me had too. super short hair. They, they, yep. they, I mean, that was it. I didn't mind. It turns out I'm non-binary. But man, I my mom would have been written up in Texas. Yep, exactly. And that's the scary part. And knowing how many folks out there just don't know anything about gender fluidity or androgyny or anything, right? It's making people suspicious or making them suspect people who aren't conforming to what their agenda is, making everyone look the same, making everyone, you know, fit into these boxes. And 
that's hopefully what it, you know, we don't get to that point, but that's what they're trying to do. Is there a way to sort of um, try to push, push the conversation forward so that we can even make it more clear how gross their perspective is? Because like at the end of the day, you know, how people decide to embrace their true identities, like that in and of itself is not a threat to another human. Like it's just not. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like their perspective is really gross. Like they, mm-hmm. they are so worried, so concerned about what's going on in everybody else's household. I mean, we were just talking in the last hour we were having this philosophical conversation about like, where did the idea come from? But like, if you have more stuff, meaning like you're higher class or more rich that your like life is worth more. Like, where did that originally come from? What was it original? <laughs> Who came up with that stupid idea? Cause it's actually quite dumb. Um, if you really think about it. And in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, I feel like these people are so focused on what other people are doing instead of just like waking up, trying to be a kind, compassionate human being to the people that are immediately surrounding you and anybody you come into contact with. Like that feels like a better way to set up a society. <laughs> um, why <laughs> is it that they're spending so much time worried about how somebody else's child wants to present themselves in this world? Yeah, I mean, I wish I knew. I don't, I don't, I don't, know, what's going on. I don't know what's going on in their minds. But Dr. Yeah. Kumar, what's wrong with people? <laughs> what's wrong with people? Why are they um, like this? Um, it's hard. It's hard for me not to think about The Handmaid's Tale. And, you know, I know we've talked about that for yeah. some time. But it's really, you know, I think they want a society that is cisgendered. Everyone's married. They're procreating. They're Christian. There, you know, and no, there's no queerness, there's no fluidity, and there's, it's just straight laced and what they are, right, or who they think they are. Um, and I think they want everyone else to be like that. And they are, you know, um, trying to get everyone to move in that direction. And if they're not willing, they're going to pass these egregious laws and force us into it, which is really scary. And I think with time each year, you know, through Trump, uh, we, I watched and read again The Handmaid's Tale, but we're I mean it's 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 not even a fiction anymore this is our no. reality you know um they're coming after us so like from the medical perspective what what happens to trans kids if they are not able to access the kind of care that they need like what is like can we talk a little bit about suicide rates can we talk a little yeah. bit about the realities that these kids are living under um if they're not allowed to talk to doctors and teachers and social workers and the rest of the safety net that we set up to um, to help kids become adults safely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we often refer to this care as life-saving care. And mm-hmm. um, the reason why is because mental health is such an issue among trans folks, but especially among kids. About half of trans kids have some sort of mental health condition. Um, and this was in 2019, so not that long ago. And about almost a third have actually reported a serious suicide attempt. So those numbers are very, very high. Um, And what we find is when folks are engaged in care, even if it's just engaging with counseling or therapy, we begin to see changes, right? It doesn't even have to be an actual medication or some sort of, uh, you know, uh, intervention with something. It can be just talking about it and being seen, which is really simple and so easy for us to do just to see people for who they are and accept them. 
Um, so this care is really, really life-saving. And when we talk about you know, these letters or any other threats that have come before, such as these bathroom bills that the legislature tries to pass or anything else that they have up their sleeves for the future, it really sends a chilling, it has a chilling effect and sends a message that, you know, they need to be scared. They need to go further into isolation. And that's not good for mental health, you know, <laughs> like for any kind of mental health condition, but especially for children who are not sure who to trust, right? They're still figuring those things out. Um, they may have a specific person, whether at school or at home or church or wherever, and if they're scared to tell them anything, it is really scary what will happen to kids and, and what, you know, uh, could transpire from there. So this is something serious, and, and we're already seeing the effects. It's only been less, maybe a week or two, and we're seeing the effects already happening. People are feeling more scared. So what, feels... what are the parents, I mean, it's so, it's so it's so gross it's so gross i have i have like the, i have the hardest time with this one, even just talking about it what are the parents up against like if if yeah. like you know if i have a trans kid and i don't make them feel like crap and i try to make sure that they're able to be as happy and healthy as possible like what am i facing in terms of jail time fees mm -hmm. like what what am yeah. i looking at yeah um I don't have an exact answer. What I will say is um, I'm really proud of the parents that do come forward and are doing the best for their kids. They are so worried about their safety and, you know, rightfully so um, doing what they can. They're asking questions, but oftentimes we don't have answers for the questions because we don't know exactly what's going to transpire and how these things are going to evolve. Um, again, the letter did say that this would be akin to child abuse and what they're doing is taking old, old laws that have been on the books and redefining them to include this kind of care as child abuse. And so um, I don't know if that means prison time. Um, I don't know if that means their kids would be taken away from them. I don't know if that means fines. But again, all of those things, just as possibilities for doing the best thing for your children, is, is not what any parent wants. It's kind so of even of these, scarier to not know yeah, what it means. Yes, exactly. Yep, the uncertainty of if, when, and how things are going to transpire, it has such a negative effect, and it is even scarier. Mm -hmm. So one of the things in the family law, at least, in that, is that, you know, like, at the end of the day, the question the court is usually answering is, like, what's in the best interest of the child? How can anybody answer the question, Right. The, you know, what's in the best interest of this child is to separate them from their parents because their loving parents. of this law? Like, I, I, yeah. I, I, how is this? Or I mean, can you predict or foresee how this, this how this mess could play out in a court where parents are trying to fight to keep custody of their child because this law separates them from their child and now they're thrown into the the our system, our our yeah. justice system. You know, and again, I, I'll go back to abortion just for a second because I think what I've heard a lot after doing this work for, for you know, almost seven years now um, that when there's something egregious like this that's introduced or, or comes out, we as human beings, I think, try to go into a place of logic and make sense. And but what about that? And what about the court? And what about if it got to this point, then wouldn't this happen? And again, with this most extreme law in Texas, it's gone to the Supreme Court three times. It's gone through Texas state court. It's gone through federal courts. And here we are. We're still sitting in it. We're still living with it. And I think even with a law like this, we would think, well, wouldn't a judge do that? And exactly, what, what about the best interest of the child? He, the child is happy and, and with parents, like that's what we would want, right? And I would hope so. I would wish that that's the case, but I don't know what judge would hear it. I don't know what the state has 
up their sleeve, they will continue to push this forward in whatever way they can, whether it's this letter or it's a law, or if it's specifying which judge that has to hear it or whatever, they will not stop. So it may have some bumps in the road as far as their agenda is concerned, but they will continue to push this forward and we have to take this seriously. And it's not designed to make sense. It's not designed to have mm. you know, logic or, or work in our favor. It's designed again for what I think their agenda is, which is to make us all you know, sheeps and sit in boxes, <laughs> cisgendered boxes. <laughs> I mean, th that's, that's what's happening in the abortion fight also. This idea yeah. that like, wh who can sue? Can someone outside Texas sue? Like, are, are we jailing pe the Uber drivers who take you yeah. across state lines? Like, we don't actually know. Like, they yeah. just put it on the books that it's criminal and then yeah. didn't complete that sentence. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and again, we can say, well, in the past six months, this hasn't happened, but it could happen today. It could happen in six right. months from now. We don't know. And that's that's also very scary, right? Yeah. Do you feel like they've overreached? Huh. Oh yeah, they've been overreaching in my opinion, <laughs> right? They have but like enough, really enough so to far. inspire backlash? Yeah, like I feel like they've overreached yeah. here, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, so what we're finding now is even with abortion where it is now, um, when we ask folks that are supportive, uh, when we ask folks that, you know, kind of know what's going on, you know, do you think Roe is gonna be overturned? Do you think we're gonna have access? A lot of folks even who are supportive think that we're not gonna get there. I think it's about a third of folks think that Roe will actually be overturned. And this is among supporters. So mm. I don't think we're there yet. I think folks are not uh, waking up yet. And I think a lot of folks are still thinking of the logic and the sensibility. Well, there's no way they would go that far. It can't, that's just right. Texas, right? We excuse it or say, well, mm -hmm. that's gonna go away. It's not a law. It's not, a judge wouldn't do this or whatever it may be, but we're there and like, it's happening and they will not stop. This is not the end of it, right? This is a, an election season as well. Um, so depending on how things go, I think things are gonna get a lot worse before we wake up and really see that our rights have been taken away, you know? But they're already so bad. <laughs> yeah, I, ag I agree with you. I'm on the same page with you. But when I look at how people are voting, when I look at what issues, you know, people are interested in or, or, or talking about and And again, when these things happen, people aren't changing their votes enough to get them out of office. So right. I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I, this, is, this is what I'm seeing and I, I, maybe people don't care enough, right? How have we had decades of these abortion restrictions when we've said that they are bad, they're trying to make abortion completely illegal. It's specifically harming folks of color, low-income folks. It's harming people in this way. It's increasing maternal mortality and they're still being elected and these things are still passing and it's getting worse and worse over decades. So. Are there political opponents getting it? Are you hearing enough from Democrats in Texas? Are you hearing enough from the Democrats who are challenging these lawmakers? I think we are, um, you know, again, I'm not a political pundit, right? So just as just a regular person, um, yeah, I, yeah. I do, I hear from folks, right? Um, and politics to me, it feels like a game. It's politics. I think it's almost synonymous with sort of having to play some sort of game. And I, I'm not sure where voters are specifically. I know that voters uh, support access to abortion overwhelmingly, um, mm -hmm. and they have always done that, but I don't know that folks are voting on that. So. How politicians navigate that is interesting. I think we we need to see more, right? Where we are and what right. we've seen is not working. So I would say we need to see more. <laughs>
Dr. Babak Kumar, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This has been a really enlightening conversation. Yeah. And, and thank you for doing everything that you're doing to help these people. Like they're in our own country and they're having to deal with this. And it's just, it's uh, it, like waking up and doing something to fix it is, um, we need more of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. so much for having me. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.